This is episode 199 of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., but you can call me Mr. Umstead. And Mr. Umstead, in this episode, we're going to talk about how to create your best book cover ever by using the power of a design brief. But first, Thomas, you said 199, which means 200 is coming up next. Episode 200, and we are going to be celebrating with a live episode. So if you want to tune in live, you can do that. We will be giving away prizes, uh, lots of prizes. In fact, we're going to have one prize for every single person who tunes in live. So you're guaranteed to win. If you come, we're going to be celebrating with cake. Okay, digital cake. <laughs> you can watch Jim eat some uh, some cake if you want. And you can watch Thomas eat ice cream, which is a rare inv- event indeed. There we go. And if you would like to bring your own cake or your own ice cream to your computer screen, uh, we would be ha- happy to have you join us or on your phone. Um, we're going to have lots of involvement. We'll have questions for you and ways that you can interact. Uh, there will be, for those who can't come live, we'll m- and have a shorter edited version that will go out on the feed. But we will have exclusive content only to the folks who tune in live. So if you can come, we would love to have you there. We'll have the registration link in the show notes. Um, and we'll be emailing it if you're on our email list. Uh, so it won't be hard to find. And it's 7 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, July 31st. 2019. And if you want to convert that to your local time zone, just click on the register here link and it will automatically, through the magic of technology, tell you what 7 p.m. Central Time is for your time zone. Because uh, it's really easy to do that math wrong uh, if you're not uh, experiencing converting time zones. And even if you are, it's easy to do the math wrong. So anyway, we hope to see you there. Yeah, we'd love to have you there. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thomas and I have put some planning into this, a lot of planning, and it should be a blast. So please uh, show up live if, if at all possible. So anyway, Thomas, back to this idea of creating your best book cover ever by using the power of a design brief. Before we talk about doing that, I'm guessing there's some, some people out there that are going design brief. I'm not exactly sure what that is. So what, how would you describe? Give us a metaphor, Thomas, that, that encapsulates what a design brief is. Yeah. So it's like a wedding plan for your book cover, like a planning document uh, for your book cover. And the lack of this plan, you know, those who fail to plan are planning to fail. And it's why so many book covers don't work and why so many authors are unhappy with their book covers or why there's frustration with the artist and you end up going with a different artist every time. It may not be the artist. It may be you. And if if you listen to this episode, you will learn the secrets of how to have an amazing book cover every single time. So when you say uh, it's like a wedding plan for your book cover, essentially you're giving this wedding plan to the wedding planner, the one that's actually going to run the event and coordinate and develop everything, correct? That's right. So in this case, it's the document you create to give to the designers. And a lot of authors skip this. They have no brief at all. They just reach out to the designer and they hope that the designer gives them a good cover. And it, this is like the worst, most risky way to do it. You're spending a lot of money on this design and that is not the way to do it. And the reason why it's so risky is this thing called the curse of knowledge. Jim, what's the curse of knowledge? Well, the curse of knowledge is... The things we know so intimately and we're so comfortable with them and we've been around them for so long, we assume that everyone else 
has that same knowledge. For example, in marketing, Thomas and I will sometimes be talking to folks and we've got this lingo going and they're staring at us and they're too polite to go, we have no idea what you guys are talking about. So it's, it's kind of that insider language, whatever your hobby is that you start talking about it and people glaze over. So you assume with your book that everyone knows what it's about and knows the intimate details of it, knows the vibe of it, knows the feel that you want readers to come away with, all those things that you're really intimate with, the designer doesn't have that knowledge. And so this brief can help convey all those things that he or she needs to know. Now, one of the things that Thomas and I have found over the years, because we've worked with a lot of different cover designers, is some try to get the plan and some just go, hey, tell me a few things about your book and they go off. So this might be something that the designer you work with will say, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Thank you for putting this together. Is this even something I could use with, with other of my, other of my clients? And Thomas and I are very much of the opinion that yes, yes, we need better book covers all around. So if this is something that helps your designer with his other clients or her other clients, we're all for that. And we have a template that you can use, a free template you can download from this episode, episode 199. We're almost at 200. Uh, if you want to see an example design brief, and we have instructions, but we're going to walk through each section of a design brief. And again, this is a document that describes the design that you need. It sets the budget expectations. You can use it if you want to collect bids from different designers and help them know exactly what you're looking for. That's also where you describe uh, the goals and the timeline. Uh, one way to think of this is that it communicates commanders in intent, which is a, a military term where uh, good militaries have, and we'll have a link to commander's intent in Wikipedia. So every good military has this concept, but it's describing what you want the designer to do, not how you want it done. So for example, like, I want you to capture this hill, but, you know, depending on the situation on the ground, the how may depend on what's going on, right? Like, um, no plan survives contact with the enemy, but if you understand what the goal is and everyone's clear on the goal, you be you may be surprised how the designer accomplishes this goal. And, and top designers, the really expensive cover designers, will have their own intake documents. And the purpose of that intake document is to help you create a design brief. And if you are working with one of those top designers, you can often just copy and paste from your design brief into their intake document. And if you use a service like 99designs, it actually also helps you create a design brief. All of the questions that they ask you are kind of helping you create a design brief because so few authors know how to do this, but you are going to be the ones uh, that learn uh, how to do it. So why is it important? Well, uh, many design projects end up with unhappy people on both sides. Uh, because they're frustrated and and those that frustration comes from poor communication typically. So uh, projects without good briefs and go over budget, they run late and they miss the mark. But projects with good briefs uh, hit their budget, go faster, and everyone gets the design uh, that they want. Both sides are happy. So some real, some real quick tips and mistakes, and then we'll go through the individual elements and give you some additional tips. Um, the first tip is to communicate the marketing goal of the design and then trust the designer to accomplish that goal. Um, when, the more you micromanage the designer, the worse of a design you're going to get because you are not a designer. <laughs> you haven't studied design in school. This is, you know, we all think we know design better than we really do. Um, and often it's, uh, it's part of the reason why often indie authors struggle is that they're, since they have all the control, they feel like they have to wield it. When I, the wise indies, the ones that are selling lots of books and making lots of money, 
uh, hire the kind of designers they can trust with the goal. And they use tools like a design brief to uh, communicate to them. Uh, so now you may be like, well, I don't have to communicate the why. It's like, well, you the things, the why of your book, why should somebody buy your book is obvious to you. You spent hundreds of hours inside of your story. But to a designer who's never heard of you or your story before, they don't know that question. They don't know the answers. And so if you give them that answer, it will help them considerably. And then another tip, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but you want to describe a specific reader that the book is for rather than a demographic range. Because I find that when you have an author describe a demographic range, they always do it too broad and there's no way to help them do it specific enough. (laughs) And so it's better to just describe the single person in the middle of the bullseye rather than trying to describe, oh, well, this person between this age and that age. Like, no, this is Joe. He's 34 years old. And we'll we'll have an example in the template that you can download uh, from novelmarketing.com forward slash 199. So, Jim, what are some mistakes that authors make with their design briefs? Yeah, here are some of the, the bigger mistakes, broad brush, but they try to do too many things with the design. And we find this in back cover copy as well. Authors want to tell the whole story, and that's really not the goal of back cover copy. Same thing with the cover. The cover is not to introduce every character and every setting and every scene. So our, our advice to you is one symbol per cover. If you're going with a symbol, you're trying to get one image that locks in the brain. This kind of ties into our second point about design brief mistakes, and that's conflicting priorities. When everything's a priority, nothing is. And Thomas and I have talked about uh, this in the past, but when the Indian mystic men lay on a thousand nails, we all ooh and ah, oh my gosh, he can lay on a thousand nails. But we're really impressed if he could lie on one nail, because obviously if he lies on one nail, that thing's going to go through his back. Well, it's the same thing with a cover design. You want that one point, that one thing that's going to make an impact. And then finally, um, lack of specifics. A rule of thumb is avoid meaningless phrases when you're telling your designer or your wedding planner. You're not going to say to the wedding planner, we just want this to be the most wonderful wedding ever. Well, that means very different things to different people. For some people, that might be a really intimate gathering. For other people, it's doves flying up and explosions and all that. So be specific with your designer. Um And then too much micromanaging, and Thomas already mentioned this, but you are an expert in what you do. You're an expert in writing. You're not an expert in cover design. And what you will do is you will frustrate your designer to the point that they'll just go, oh, I just got to get this out the door. I'm, I'm having such a problem dealing with this person. So let them be the pro. Yeah, if you're using the phrase, I want this design to pop. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> no one knows what that means. And so, just make my cover look good. <laughs> just make it look good. It's like, well, there's many different kinds of good covers for many different kinds of books. Uh, so let's walk through the different elements of uh, the design brief. So the first is a summary. This is just one or two sentences about what your book is and what you're looking for. Uh, then you can include uh, the budget. Uh, the, the budget's optional. If you're only making, if you've already picked your designer, and you already know how much you're spending, right? Because you've, you know, the designer's got her prices on her website. You can cut this section if you want. But if you're using the design brief to collect bids for multiple designers, you can include the budget. And I, I recommend having a range, uh, right? So between $500 and $1,000. That way, some designers can try to compete on price and other designers can compete on quality as they send you their proposals or their pitches. Uh, the next element is the timeline. Uh, how much time do you have? So as a general rule, uh, you can pick two of the three things, quality, um, cost, 
and speed, right? So, or cheapness and speed. And so if you're insisting that it be done quickly, you're going to have to spend a lot of money. Um, There's just no way around it. Whereas if you have, you know, six months, right, then potentially you can pull down the cost. Like those things pull against each other. So uh, if you have a deadline, like this cover must be done by June 16th, uh, you'll want to mention that. Ideally, though, you have a um, amount of time from start to finish, because, you know, if you negotiate for two weeks, that's uh, two weeks lost on the project. And so that pushes back the timeline. Um, and uh, designers would prefer to see a, a um, you know, there's six weeks to get this done or four weeks or whatever. So a certain amount of time from signing the contract or paying the money or whatever kicks the project off. Uh, the next element of the design is the goal, right? What do you want the design to accomplish? And this is uh, really important, right? And this is perhaps the most important element <laughs> of the brief, because if you're not clear on the goal, then how can you accomplish it? And this is often where people get really frustrated because that, you know, vague instructions like, oh, I just want it to pop, right? It's like, well, the designer thinks that it pops, but you don't think it pops. So I um, encourage you to have a goal and you want to make it a specific goal in the sense of what action do you want the reader to take? Uh, so you could be like, I want um, readers of science fiction to be intrigued and being curious. So they pull the book off of the shelf or they click the book on Facebook, right? And I want it to be able to work on Facebook. So it's very important that it works as the one inch image, right? What that goal is may depend on what your overall strategy, but you want to be very specific about that goal. Uh, the next element is the audience. Describe your target reader and describe a specific person. <laughs> and um, because if you can thrill that one described person, you're going to thrill everyone else who's similar to that person in some way. So just because you're describing a woman in the description doesn't mean that men aren't also going to be interested and vice versa, but it's important to have a very specific person and to give as much information about that person as possible. It's not just, it's not just age. So say for example, well, I want to reach 14 year old girls. Okay, great. But there's a lot of different 14-year-old girls. Tell me about that girl. Well, she's kind of a tomboy, actually, and she really loves adventure. And she first thing she wants to do on her 18th birthday is jump out of an airplane. And she plays guitar. And, uh, you know, she's never been in an airplane. And, oh, my gosh, she loves old Motown records. Well, now we're starting to get a real picture and a real feel for who this person is. That will help your designer design a cover specifically for that person. As, and as Thomas says, that doesn't mean necessarily that a 16-year-old boy wouldn't like the book, but we are going for a very specific person. So the more you can paint that picture of who that person is for your designer, the better she or he is going to be able to design. And also feel free to include, you know, what books they like to read, what movies they like to watch. These sorts of things are very helpful for the designer as they're doing research, trying to get inspiration. Uh, another thing uh, that you may include are what emotions are you wanting the cover to convey? Do you want the cover to convey a sense of intrigue or suspense or romance, right? Some people, right, if you're writing a um, certain kind of books like this cover is too stressful, right? Like, oh, I don't want to read that kind of book. It's too stressful. Whereas another kind of reader is like, oh, that book is too boring, right? So you want to give that tone, that emotion. You want to be very clear about what emotion you're trying to convey to the designer because if they don't know, remember, they haven't spent 100 hours in your book like you have. If you don't tell them, they won't know and they're guessing and you're going after revision after revision if you don't know the emotional tone. Uh, the next is the book description. So this is like the blurb of your book and uh, any other um, specifics about 
your book itself. Um, you know, describe the book, describe the main characters, maybe give uh, some of the plot if it's non if it's fiction, or you know, a chapter outline if it's uh, nonfiction. Right? The you want the uh, designer to be able to understand the book without having to read the book. Because let me tell you, no designer is going to read your two hundred page manuscript um, unless you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars. And really, if you do a good job here, they don't need to read your book. They can just read this. Uh, description and they get a good feel for the book and the audience. And that's all they need to do a good job. Next is genre description. Describe the genre of your book and be specific here. Be spe as specific as possible. Well, it's, it's speculative fiction. Well, what kind? Well, is it sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, it's sci-fi. What kind of sci-fi? Oh, it's time travel. Well, when time travel? Are they going to the future or the past? What, what's the emphasis of that time travel? Is it changing the future or is it changing the past? Or is it saying that all things are going to remain the same? The more specific you get with your genre, again, the better the designer is going to be able to get inside your head and convey that to the audience. Really, book cover design is like you've got a language. You've got a foreign language that only you know, and they have a language only they know. And you don't, you can talk to each other, but you need to interpret. And the cover designer is going to interpret the language that you've given him, a language he doesn't know and convey it to the audience. And so you're going to try to be as clear as possible as you translate these ideas, these emotions, this background to her or him to be able to then translate it to your potential readers. Uh, the next section are similar titles and um, potentially similar authors as well. And these are you know, popular books that are similar to your book and you want to, you know, include a link to them saying, so just click on the book and go straight to it on Amazon, right? Honor the designer's time. <laughs> the more you do this, uh, the more efficient and again, the faster this process will go and it will help give them a feel of what other authors in your genre are doing and specifically other authors that you've selected, right? Because if you just give them a genre description, you're like, I'm writing military science fiction, they're browsing and they're finding their own covers. You don't want that, right? You want them to look at the covers you want to show them and to get, you know, they give them a, a sense of the field that you're wanting to capture. And you probably have access to better data as to what books are popular. You understand the genre better than they do. And, and so you want to um, be real careful with the covers. Don't give too many uh, and try to give covers that are similar to each other. Uh, sometimes when um, authors, we went through this with web design where authors would say, here are four websites I like. And those websites had nothing in common with each other. <laughs> and it became a very, um, it really made things more complicated, not less complicated. It's like, well, this one is, you know, totally different than this other one, you know, so, you know, maybe be specific. Here's the specific thing that I like about this cover. Uh, and then one thing you may consider is say, this is the one cover I want to be the most similar to, the one I like the best, right? Select the one you want to copy. And book cover is not the time to be unique, right? And people are going to see your cover. It needs to immediately communicate the genre, immediately say, I am like these other books that you like. And then that's what causes them to pull it off the shelf. That's what causes them to click on it uh, online. And uh, you you have to be similar. You can't be you know a direct copy, but you have to be similar. And the strategy here is to be more similar than not. Uh, the next section is symbol ideas. So we talked with Chris Fox in the advertising for authors episode and in the webinar that we did with him about how uh, having a good, strong, emotionally evocative symbol on the cover is key. And it depends on the genre, right? Like if you're writing fantasy, it might be a dragon. 
uh, if you're writing or maybe it's a night, right? Or maybe it's a couple kissing and it's a romance book, right? Like the, a couple holding each other and kissing is a, is a very powerful symbol that most romance books use or many romance books uh, use. And the reason why so many romance books use that symbol is because it works, right? Spaceships sell science fiction books and <laughs> they sell them very, very well. Uh, so you want to do the research as to what symbol uh, or what symbols could work. You don't necessarily want to say it has to be this symbol. You want to trust the designer's instincts, but you want to do the research as to what symbols are could be good potentials. Remember that you are giving the designer inspiration. You're giving her ideas. You're spurring her creative juices. And by showing a symbol, they might not use that symbol, but it might push them in another direction they hadn't thought of. So don't be shy about saying this and this and this and this. You're giving them as much background as they can, as much access to your creativity and your imagination and inside your head is as you can so that they can then take that and use their creative abilities. Also feel free to say, Hey, if you think of any other symbols, feel free to let me know. This isn't a limiting list. This is more right. of a brainstorming list. You know, for certain genres, it's, it's a pretty set number of symbols that pretty much all the book covers use. Like in military science fiction, it's a spaceship or it's a space marine, right? Like that's basically it. Um, whereas in other genres, it's much more varied and it's much more, um, broad than that. But again, you're doing the research. You're giving the designer a brief on a silver platter so they know exactly uh, where to go and where to get started. And the next is available resources. Jim? Yeah, you have probably collected some resources about your book that you don't necessarily think of. For example, if you're writing historical fiction, you probably have a lot of articles and you have photos and you have newspaper articles, all these things about the background of your book. You can use those to fill out the vision of what your book's about as well. I I had an interesting situation with my first novel, Rooms, where my publisher was back in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm out on the West Coast. And a lot of them had never been to the area that I was writing about, which specifically was the Oregon Coast, Cannon Beach area. So they asked me, can you send us some photos of this area that you're writing about? And I said, sure. And so I had a bunch of photos. My wife and I went down to the Oregon Coast for years. And so I sent them a bunch of photos of the area. Well, they ended up using a photo I had taken as the book cover. And and I never even thought that that would happen. But I was glad that they asked the question, do you have anything that can give us a better background on the, on the area? And so you might have a photo or you might have an article or you might have some resources that you don't think necessarily will help your designer, but they could end up being a great help to them. The other thing you can do is give, uh, you can show them previous covers. Again, I'll use Rooms as an example. I got the rights back to that book, and so I had to redesign the cover. Well, so I gave my cover designer, hey, this is the original cover, because that gives gave her a reference point to start from. Yeah, what you're doing is you're giving the designer a pantry, and you're describing a dish that you're wanting, what you're not doing is creating the recipe, right? You're trusting the chef to make the recipe, but you're, you're putting things in the pantry and you're not saying, Hey, you have to use all these ingredients because that will end in disaster. <laughs> you don't <laughs> cook with every ingredient. You don't put every symbol, uh, you know, on your cover. Don't do that. Keep it simple. Simple covers work better when shrunk really small. It may be that in the 1950s, you could have a really complicated cover and it would work. Although, you know what? 
the covers that worked in the 1950s weren't complicated either. There was maybe never a time when complicated covers worked really well, but they really don't work now in the days of, you know, tiny thumbnail images. Uh, another thing that you will want to put in your uh, brief are your nose, like things to avoid completely. Jim, what are, give us an idea of that. Well, it might be for no good apparent reason, but it's a good reason to you. So say, for example, you hate beaches. You just cannot stand the ocean. So you're going to tell them, you know, I don't want images of the sand. I don't want sand dunes. Or if you're writing a romantic book, maybe you go, I am so sick of the forlorn woman with her hair swept back. I want something different than that. So you can eliminate some of those things up front and say to your designer, I don't want this. I don't want this boy erotica. That's I don't want anything that hints at that. You can give them a brief list of stay away from these things so they don't even have to go down that road or be thinking about them. Again, you're giving them as specific, to use your analogy, Thomas, which I love, it's like, okay, here are all the things in the pantry, but wow, do not bring in squash. I I can't stand squash. Do not use squash in the recipe. Because remember, this is your book. And while ultimately the goal of a book cover is to convince readers to buy the book, so the book cover is for readers more than it's for you. It is also for you and it does need to reflect your brand and be consistent with your brand. And brands are often more about what they say no to than what they say yes to, uh, right? You're never going to see um, a Nike brand of ice cream, right? <laughs> because it's incompatible uh, with the brand. So with uh, let's talk about some of the cover elements because there's a lot of things you can put on a book cover. We've done whole episodes on book covers. Uh, so we're not going to rehash those uh, here, but we are going to list the elements. And the thing that you want to do with these elements is you want to put them in priority order. So in any given design, only one thing can be the number one priority. And there's a lot of things that designers, good designers can do to show priority in a design. It can be with the size of things. It can be with the font of things. It can be with contrast. And if you don't communicate what those things are to the uh, to the designer, they're going to guess. And different books have different priority order. So let's uh, talk about the, like the first three things just for an example. The title, the author name, and the series name. So you may think, oh, well, the title always should be number one priority. And that is how it is for most books, but it's not how it is for best-selling books, especially best-selling books by famous authors. What's the number one priority of a Stephen King book? Stephen Stephen King. King. (laughs) If you look at the book cover of a Stephen King book, half of the book cover is the name Stephen King, and the title is teeny tiny, and there's no series name or number at all, right? Because he's such a strong brand um, that if he is writing a series, that's really small. It's even smaller than the title. Whereas for other book covers, if you're known for writing a series, or maybe the series name is more famous than you are, uh, the series name is the number one thing. Maybe the title of the book is the number two thing, and the author's name is the number three thing. Uh, So this is one of those things you want to think through. What's the most appealing element of your book cover? If you are unknown, or if you're just getting started, it's not going to be your name right? If your name's not Barack Obama, you know, if, if your name is Barack Obama, then that's all you need to put, right? Like Bill Clinton, his title was My Life, right? It was like, nobody cared. It was Bill Clinton. You either knew you were going to buy that book because you were a fan of Bill Clinton, or you knew you were not going to buy that book because you were not a fan of Bill Clinton. Uh, but the Bill Clinton was all you needed to make in that decision. Uh, some other elements, you have the cover symbol, right? Whatever graphic or image that you're using, um, 
This is less of a priority. This can be a priority and you don't want to communicate that, but there's often a lot of things that the designer can do where like putting that in the foreground or the background, just communicate how important it is because maybe the um, image that you're using is the most important thing or it's more important than the subtitle uh, or something else like that. Another uh, element is an endorsement. Some books have an endorsement from someone famous on the front. <laughs> Others have it on the back. Others, most, don't have it at all. But if you have a, an endorsement from a famous person that your readers already are familiar with, maybe put it on your book. Yeah, if, Steve, if Stephen King if Stephen King endorses the book, that's probably going to go on the cover. It's probably going to be a little bit bigger than uh, than normal. That's right. Or if you're writing a marketing book and Seth Gordon Seth Godin has endorsed it, you'll notice Seth Godin's endorsements tend to be put on the front cover because students of marketing have a really high opinion of Seth Godin. <laughs> so, and the authors know that, so they put it on the front. Um, you're also going to uh, include uh, or have a section where you include the back cover copy. Uh, you know, what words you want on the back cover. A, a lot of authors just say, oh, design the back cover, and then I'll give you the text later, or it just gets copy and pasted, and it looks awful. You can often spot uh, self-published books because it's very obvious that the text is just pasted in, and it just is not it doesn't work, right? It, it's not well designed. You can't just copy and paste that. So you need to write that, that cover copy now. <laughs> uh, you can tweak words here and there, uh, right? So you're not committing necessarily to the final final, but you kind of are. And you need to have a good idea of how much copy at the very least, right? Is it one paragraph? Is it two paragraphs? Is it just a single sentence? You need to, you need to know that and you need to include that in the design brief. And maybe include a back cover symbol this is optional, but it, it can help. So, for instance, for my book, Courtship in Crisis, it was based off of a viral blog post that I had written that had been read over a million times and it had been very hotly debated and people were very familiar with it. So I used the same image from that blog post on the back to remind people of that blog post that they had read. And I worked that in as a back uh, cover symbol. Um, because I wanted to connect with what people were already familiar with. This is also where you include things like the ISBN and shelving instructions, stuff like that. Uh, some other elements real quick. You want to include uh, book details, right? Uh, so the dimensions of the book. Is it a six by nine? Is it five and a half by eight and a half? Uh, that's really important. The designer's going to need to know that before they can get started. Is it paperback? Is it hardback? The number of pages actually is also useful as they design the spine. They need to know how thick that spine is going to be. The design of a 400-page book spine is going to be very different from the design of a 200-page book spine. Uh, you can actually do things if, if it's 400 pages with the spine. It's harder if it's going to be 200 pages. And then the final thing that you need to think about is how do you like to communicate? It would be helpful to your designer to convey that to her or him. Do you like to communicate, communicate through text? Maybe it's email. Maybe it's phone calls. What's the frequency of that? Because some designers are, oh my gosh, this person's emailing me every other day. And, and they need to know that going in because you don't want a designer who is frustrated with you and not saying anything. And so better up front to say, hey, this is how I like to communicate. Will that work for you? That gives them a chance to come back and say, you know, honestly, uh, once a week is about, about my maximum. Um, do you want me to text you or do you want me to email you? Uh, some designers will say, hey, phone calls really aren't, aren't my thing. That's stuff you get out up front. So there's no misunderstanding and you have a chance to negotiate on what's going to work for best for both of you rather than it get to a point where one or both of you are frustrated. 
And you uh, want to get on the same page. We made this mistake with a designer we were working with on a board game project, actually, where we didn't define what the ideal communication means were. So we would text them, we would email them, we would phone call them. And the result was very stressful for the designer because everything seemed like an emergency because we're contacting them in all these multiple different ways. And and don't be like dogmatic. Be like, it must be text only or it must be email only. <laughs> right, be like, right. I prefer to communicate this way. If you prefer to do it another way, just let me know. This is this is more of a beginning of a conversation at the end of a conversation. But again, we have a five-page template that has instructions for each one of these sections and an example that we made ourselves for the book Starship Troopers, uh, which is a book that I very much enjoyed. Terrible movie, but a great book, uh, and it needs a new cover. <laughs> so maybe the <laughs> uh, the author has passed away, but you know perhaps his publishing company will, will download our, our brief and use it to get a, a new cover for the book. But if you would like uh, to download that, Example, you can get it at novelmarketing.com forward slash 199. Jim, who's our featured patron? Our featured patron for this episode is Carrie Dawes and her uh, series, The Embers series. A hurricane and a series of unexplained fires hit too close to home. What will it cost Inspector Cassandra McCarthy to protect the citizens of Silver Heights? Carrie, thank you so much for being a patron. You patrons are the ones who keep the novel marketing podcast going. So thank you again so much for being a patron. And our sponsor today is the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. If you have questions about the tax implications of being an author, if you want to pay your fair share of taxes, but only your fair share of taxes, if you want to find out about tax deductions that authors can take advantage of, we have a course for you by a CPA who's been working with authors for over 35 years. Uh, so Tom Umstadt, CPA, my father and I sat down, we created this course for authors and it is invaluable. We also talk about a lot of the business elements of being an author, like when to form an LLC, how to form an LLC, uh, what causes the IRS uh, to be more likely to audit authors and how to reduce your chance of being audited. Uh, this course is a bargain. If you compare it to the price of working with an actual CPA, going through this course will save you a lot of money, not just um, in that you'll save money on your taxes, but it will also reduce the amount of time you have to spend asking your CPA questions. Uh, which can be very expensive. Uh, you can find out more about this course at authortaxtips.com. And as always, our patrons can save 50% with their exclusive... 50%? Half <laughs> Which off? is a good, it's a great discount. Uh, <laughs> and there's an exclusive uh, patrons discount link in Patreon. So just go log into your Patreon account. All patrons have access to the coupons. And uh, just real quick, don't forget... Episode 200 celebration. <laughs> this is, we have been doing this podcast since 2013, if you can imagine. A lot has changed in the last many years, and we'll, we will be doing some reflecting. We'll be looking back at what's changed, what's new, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this episode. And if you can tune in live, we really would love to have you there. Thomas, I've been doing something crazy lately. I've been starting to ride my bike again. Really? Like yeah. like, what, like in uh, Stranger Things? I hear they ride bikes in that. <laughs> they do have bikes in that. No, yeah, yeah, they do, don't they? I think they do. They did in season two. I just finished watching season three. Uh, much more intense, darker than the other ones. Um, but but again, well done. But no, I've been riding my bicycle. I've been uh, deciding that's the way I want to work out. And I've found this app called Strava that my son told me about, Taylor, where it tracks your um, tracks your workout. 
And so it can be done for hiking, for biking, for running. And, and so anyway, it's, it's extremely motivating. So any of you out there that like to work out by running, by hiking, uh, by bicycling, specifically Strava is a great app to uh, keep you motivated. Does it have a competition where uh, some of our listeners can maybe compete with you to see who does the most biking? Oh, you you can. I'm going to put you on the spot here <laughs> in, the, in the Facebook group in the comments. If you yeah. use this app and if you, you wanna... use Strava, yeah, and, and we because you can. It is. It's a social app. You can you can follow each other. You can see each day's accomplishments. You can see PRs. I hit a PR for a particular route I'm doing. So yes, if you're on Strava, come to the Facebook group. Uh, and if you're not part of the Novel Marketing Facebook group, podcast, Facebook group, join us. So tell me who you are on Strava and let's, yeah, let's start following each other. That'd be great. All right. You have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstadt Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.